Well, you kind of a you should have picked up on the theme, kind of the theme today is children. We have the children's program and Psalm 127 uh, is talking about uh, how uh, raising children or the family. That's what Psalm 127 is really about. Uh, if you read it at face value, it looks like perhaps it's saying that life is full of vanity and there's no use in raising a family or working or toiling. But really what the psalmist is saying, it's only vanity if we do these things without God. Uh, that God does give us meaning in our work. Uh, God does give us meaning in our family. Uh, and we try and do those things without him, then uh, it loses the intended meaning that he had uh, for us in that. Uh, think about Christmas's past. Uh, what is the uh, best gift that you ever got uh, at Christmas? Uh, I know when I was 10 years old, I got a magic set. Woo, that was cool. Uh, the cape, everything, put on a little magic show for the family. And no, I'm not going to do that for you today. Uh, uh, I wish I could pull quarters out of my ear. Be a very wealthy man. Uh, but I remember once too later, after we had kids, one of the best gifts I ever got was Lisa surprised me. She had taken the three kids and had a portrait taken of them and uh, as a gift and uh, framed it. And it's in my office. I love that's one of my favorite gifts of all time. Uh, sometimes, though... Uh, has anyone ever gotten an animal for Christmas? Uh, uh, not that kids are animals, but the kids program kind of reminded me. I think a lot of entertainers say they'll never work with animals or children. Uh, but uh, how many have ever gotten a puppy, a kitten, a gerbil, uh, I don't know, a ferret, anything for Christmas? Sometimes the gift is right, cuddly and cute and wonderful. Until what? Until you realize that... Some, you know, I looked at so many pictures to find something appropriate for Sunday morning. So uh, there's some good ones, too. But I thought this is a family gathering. We need to be careful. I thought this was the most gentle way uh, to remind us. Right. Uh, You know, that puppy's cute when it's under the tree. Right. And then you realize that uh, there's poop to clean up. Uh, There's pee. Uh, There's barking. There's digging. There's chewing. There's walks, uh, there's uh, trips to the veterinarian that are expensive, right? There's food, depending on how much you love your dog. You know, some people go all out or love your chickens. Uh, You know, they go all out uh, buying the organic, no grain, you know, all that kind of stuff. Food. Oh, you know what grosses me out? Have you ever gone to Target? I don't know if other stores are doing this now, but they have the fresh pet food in the cooler section. You know, and you go to grab it because you think it's a steak or chicken and it's pet food. Right with the other food. I mean, some people are high maintenance with their pets, right? So that cute, cuddly, warm little puppy needs a lot of attention, doesn't he? A lot of care, a lot of time and a lot of money. I knew a lady once. uh, She had an older dog. The vet told her that it needed a special kind of surgery. So she took the dog an hour and away to Purdue University in Lafayette, Indiana, which has one of the most renowned veterinary schools in the country. So she uh, paid $2,000 to give her dog a surgery. And a few weeks later, the dog died. So it's expensive, isn't it? But... If you, we don't put in the time and the money and the efforts with that cute, cuddly puppy, what do we get? We get 
We get, isn't that true? We get Cujo. Uh, if we don't put, isn't that true? And you know where I'm going. And if we don't put in the time and the effort with our children as God commands, what do we get? Little Bobby Cujo or, or little Sally Cujo. Uh, I saw little Sally Cujo at the school Christmas program on Thursday night. Uh, so we'll look at this. Uh, they're not so cute and cuddly, are they, when they grow up without instruction, without discipline, uh, without parental involvement. Uh, and no, some of you, please don't get offended. I'm not saying our kids are like animals. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just using an illustration, drawing comparisons. If you didn't get the outline, you really need to have it or you're going to be lost. So I don't know if the ushers are out there uh, still and you want to have that outline. Uh, I don't see any ushers out there in the foyer, but uh, hopefully someone will come back. Maybe Habib or Ruben can grab them. Uh, But you need to have the outline. Uh, I wanted to walk us through sort of maybe my gift to you as parents, as grandparents, uh, even as siblings or aunts or uncles, if you work with children at all, anyone need the outline, raise your hand. I see Habib's got it. Habib, it's two pages each, so don't get it all mixed up now. My Christmas elf is going to mess things up, so uh, let them get situated there. We looked at Psalm 127 already this morning. Raise your hands if you want the outline. Uh, that there's a direct connection between... A relationship with God and raising a family. That's what the psalmist was telling us. In fact, I like the Latin phrase that they used to use in the church generations ago. About It says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build, build in vain. And the Latin would say, nisi dominus frusta. Meaning, without the Lord, frustration. However, with the Lord... Raising a family can mean satisfaction. And I think you have that blank at the top of your outline, the word satisfaction. Raising children without the Lord can lead to frustration for both the parent and for the child. But raising children in the Lord, as Paul even says in Ephesians 6, can be very satisfying. And I've got the synopsis of Psalm 127 for you there. We're not going to go over that. But... We want to think for a moment, go down to point or letter B, how to raise kids without raising Cain. We want to focus on Proverbs 22, 6, uh, which says, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is older, he will not depart from it. Now, we're going to see what that verse really is talking about, because the vast majority of us don't understand what that verse is really saying. And we'll see in Proverbs 29:15 the same wording. But think for a moment, uh, there is a lot of parental confusion in the world today. There are a lot of confusing voices about how to raise children. Uh, because if one is not a follower of Christ and holding to the authority and sufficiency of Scripture, you've got to go somewhere to get some help and some direction. Uh, and really, today, Second uh, Corinthians 10:5, if you remember, Paul is talking about knowledge and wisdom. And as Christians, we, not, we don't just not only follow the wisdom of the scriptures, but it says we actually go on the offensive to
to tear down all the speculations and all the lofty intellectual ideas that the world has about God and about Christ and about how to be a Christian. And that we as Christians, we know the truth. And so we combat that which is not truth. And I think in the area of marriage and family, that might be more critical perhaps than any other area of life. Making sure we're thinking of raising children in a way that God has guided and directed us. Because who created the family? God. We went over this for a long time in a previous series. Who designed the family? God. And now some of you don't want to admit this, but who chose your family for you? See, I knew you wouldn't be excited about that. God, he's the one that put me in this family. Yeah, God chose you. In fact, the book of Acts points that out, that you are in a family that was specifically fashioned and designed in eternity past for you to be in. Isn't that something? So now you can blame God for. No, I'm just kidding. God is pro family. That's really important to Remember, And God's word has the answers for any family problem that you might have. Doesn't matter if it's husband and wife, parent and child, grandparent and grandchild, brother and sister, aunt and uncle. Doesn't matter. Financial, sexual, mental, spiritual. The word of God has the answers because God designed the family as the very first institution on planet Earth. Before the church, before the nation of Israel, before human government, the very first institution on the earth was the family. And by the way, if you're here today and you don't have children, that's okay. Because the first family did not at first have children. It was a man and a woman. And they were a family. So that's really important to grasp. If you're having problems in your family... This is where we need to go. Okay? That's really important. I know I keep saying that. I guess because it's really important. Okay. Proverbs 22.6. Say it together with me because you probably know it. Train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is older, he will not depart from it. Let's do it again. Because some of you, I overestimated your scripture memory. Train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is older, he will not depart from it. Here's what we don't seem to understand about this verse. This verse is a warning, not a promise. We have traditionally understood this verse to mean, oh, if we do what we're supposed to do with our kids, they're going to grow up and they're going to be great adults. First thing you remember, the book of Proverbs is not a, you know, plug this in, turn it on, and you'll get 100% success every time. Proverbs is a book of general truths of reality. And what is interesting is that the books of Job and Ecclesiastes are the exceptions to the general rules of Proverbs. Do you realize that Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Job, and Song of Solomon all go together as a four-box set? Proverbs says, generally speaking, the rules of life operate this way. Job in Ecclesiastes says, however, sometimes there are exceptions. 
And one of the general realities of life is the way we rear or raise up our children will get certain consequences. But this verse is a warning, not a promise. Well, what do you mean by that? Well, look at your notes on your outline. I think it would just be best uh, to do it this way. In your Bibles, if you look at Proverbs 22, 6, you should have a little number one there where it says train or in the way he should go. How many of you have a little number one in your Bibles where it says in the way he should go? Just you and me, Eileen. Okay. Oh, and vet. Okay. Sorry. If you're visiting today, that's sarcasm. It's my favorite side dish. Okay. Literally, it reads according to his way. So in the Hebrew, you're reading train up a child according to his way. Who's his? The child. Train up a child according to his own way. And when he is older, he won't depart from his own way. The ancient Hebrew literally says, when it says, in the way he should go, or according to his way, literally means on the mouth of his way. In Proverbs 29, 15, uses the same words. It says, train up a child. Training up means to set aside or to narrow in in order to guide. So what, what is really Proverbs 22, 6 saying that if a child is left to himself to go on his own way, do his own thing, rebelling against parental instruction and discipline, he will be trained by his parents to be a shameful young person and a shameful adult. Does that make sense? Train up a child according to the own way that he wants to go. Hands off. I'm a permissive parent. I'm too tired. I'm too confused. I'm too uh, detached to be involved. Well, you train up a child to be left to go his own way. And when he's older, you can just start calling him by his new nickname, Big Baby. You're just going to have those same childish, immature, shameful, sinful thoughts and actions of a child in adult form. I know some of you women are thinking, yeah, I married. I thought I was getting a man. I got myself a boy. No, I'm just kidding. I don't want to hear any amens on that. Hey, husbands need to be trained just as much as children. Oh, I heard one little amen. I don't know who that was, but it better not have been my wife, I hope. It's, I still have the receipt for your Christmas gift. Okay. We're not exchanging gifts. Okay. I am the gift. Okay. Uh, now she wants the receipt. <laughs> Here's a blank on your outline. Parents, taking a... I don't think I put that blank on there, did I? Okay. Permissive is your blank there. Taking a permissive, hands-off, uninvolved approach to parenting will only result in shame for your child. If you don't parent, your child will be left at the mercy of his own sinful passions and urges. So when a child's going into thermonuclear meltdown, which happens occasionally, right? Adults don't, just kids. That's sarcasm again. Certain approaches are not biblical or effective. Hands off. Ignore it. Yell louder than the child. That doesn't work. Left to his own way, 
will only result in shame. The biblical parent steps in quietly, calmly, assertively and says, hey, let's take a little road trip to the bathroom. Oh, yeah, now you all get it, don't you? I saw a lady in Target. I don't really go to Target a lot. I know that's my second Target illustration. But uh, but I was in there, and this boy was in the cart. I'd say he was two. And uh, how do we put it? Freaked out, I guess. I mean, just... Crying, fussing, screaming, whining, and they started kicking. And she said, If you're good and be quiet, I'll get you a toy. Mm hmm. Wow. That's not, that wouldn't be my approach. If you're quiet and good, then I won't beat you to an inch of your life. No, I'm just kidding. No. Do we have a deal? No. That's not, but this is tape. This is streamed online. Oops. No, we don't beat our children to an inch of their life. But what I'm saying is the biblical parent, the biblical parent calmly and quietly and assertive understands I am the adult. You are the child. You will be quiet and sit still or there will be consequences. And because I have parented consistently, regularly and thoroughly my child knows uh, she means business when she says that because I have because she has proven it to me over time but the permissive parent does all other kinds of things negotiating bribing yelling we'll see more about that in a moment but the point is by whatever Uh, worldly or ungodly means we don't parent, we don't intervene, then that child is being left to the mercy of his own sinful passions and urges. And it's very harmful to a child not to discipline. Doesn't the Bible say that? In the Old Testament, also in the letter to the Hebrews in the New Testament. Who does God discipline according to the Bible? God disciplines those he loves. One of the worldly teachings today, based on people like B.F. Skinner and Jean Piaget, I like saying that, Jean Piaget, must be, must be good, because it sounds good. I follow Jean Piaget. Okay, oh, tell me more. Uh, well, Jean Piaget from France, maybe he lives at the Chateau de Saint-Aubon. Uh, that's where the Grace Brethren live. He's probably not there. So, Anyway, they teach behaviorism. They teach... That when a child is born, a child is just a neutral, innocent slate. And if we simply create the right environment for the child, the child will turn out good. That's behaviorism. So a lot of parents are trying to manipulate their children into the proper behavior. But we know something that men like P.O.J. and Skinner don't know. Look at the second page of your outline. What does the Proverbs say about children? Proverbs 20.11 says that children are known by their actions. Their character is revealed by the way they behave. 
Proverbs 22.15 tells us that children are not naturally wise. That they need to be instructed. They need to be guided. They need to be, as Proverbs 23.13 says, they need to be disciplined. Proverbs 29.15 says that children need both instruction and discipline. And before you think that this is just Pastor Jeff and he sounds really harsh. And by the way, there were times that Lisa and I were accused by friends when our kids were little that we were too harsh and we were too strict. And I will testify, and I've told many of you this already, that all three of our children at different times in their adulthood have come and thanked us for the rules and the strictness that they at the time hated Never forget when we showed up at uh, Jay's uh, graduation from basic training at Lackland in San Antonio. We pull into the parking lot and he's standing out there. So we get out of the car going for a hug. He goes, well, I need to tell you guys something. I'm like, what? He goes, first thing, I just need to tell you thank you for the way you raised me. That's like that movie Scanners. What happened to him? They took it. Or Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Who took my son? told someone that doesn't sound like Jay what Jay said next sounds like Jay why would you say that because they've been stuck for six weeks with a bunch of freaking babies that don't know how to take care of themselves now that sounds like my boy okay but a great example in first Kings 1 and 2 it says there do you remember Adonijah who I yeah I think I spelled that properly a son of David who wanted to overthrow the throne and he was totally undisciplined and a man of wickedness and evil. And it says there in first Kings one and two, because David never caused his son Adonijah any pain. Do you know what that's saying? His son was a wicked, wild man because David never disciplined him. And who wrote that account? Interesting. Adonijah's half brother Solomon wrote first Kings. So it was all in the family. So you're blank. Proverbs teaches that a child's judgment cannot be trusted. A child's judgment cannot be trusted. In other words, children cannot be left alone without parental guidance to make important decisions. And they will say to you, especially the tweeners and middle school age, I admit, I confess That's a tough time. Sixth, seventh, and eighth grade. That's tough. And I also think that the few years right after high school are tough. If you're in high school, you got it made. You're on easy street. (laughs) But your child will say, I want to do it myself. I can do it myself. That's not true, according to the scriptures. What do the Psalms say? The Psalms tell us this. Psalm 51, verse 5, and chapter 53, and chapter 58. Some phrases on your outline from those verses. David said, in sin my mother conceived me. He's not saying my mother was doing something sinful when I was conceived. He's saying that when every new little child is created at the moment of conception, by the way, that verse is Proof that life begins at conception. And at conception, David is saying, you have a cute, cuddly, beautiful little sinner. 
is what David is saying. Psalm 53 says there is no one righteous. Not even one, because that's repeated in what New Testament book? Romans. Psalm 58 says these aren't pleasant verses like, oh, oh, and some of those girls, we need to get them into home ec. Some of those girls that were holding those babies, I was a little terrified. Had it in a headlock and uh, and swinging around. It's like, (laughs) maybe that was how she was trained to keep her man in a headlock. Okay. Uh, That will come in handy later. Okay. But Psalm 58 says, and it pains us to even think this way, but it's helpful. It's salvation for a child to think this way. It says, the wicked are estranged from the womb. Liars go astray from when? From birth. I mean, we come out of the womb with a sin nature. And we can't be left to ourselves. Contrary to what Piaget and B.F. Skinner and others say, a child is not an innocent, neutral slate at birth only needing the right environment to flourish. That's just not the case. Every child needs divine guidance from the hands of mom and dad. Just remember the ten property laws for, to- for toddlers. It goes like this. Ten property laws for toddlers. Number one, if I like it, it's mine. Number two, if it's in my hand, it's mine. Number three, if I take it from you, it's mine. Number four, if I had it just a little while ago, it's mine. Number five, if it's mine, it must never appear to be yours in any way. Number six, if I'm building something, all the pieces are mine. Right? Number seven. If it looks like mine just a little bit, then it's mine. Number eight, if I saw it first, then it's mine. Number nine, if you're playing with something and then you set it down, ooh, that's a go in the snatch game. And number ten, if it's broken, it's yours. The ten property laws of a toddler. Where do they learn those laws? Nowhere. It's inherent in the sin nature. Children are sinners just like adults who battle the sin nature. And that's the level on which we need to parent our children. Not just the behavior level, but the heart level. Working with our children to understand their own ruling passions and their ruling urges and desires. That then Mark chapter 7 verses 20 through something say, come out of the heart and then rule the person. Parents who want to parent God's way. Yes, we have rules. Yes, we have do's and don'ts. But all the while, we also are trying to exegete the heart. To help the child understand that he needs Jesus Christ. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. Paul says in Ephesians 4.14 that we shouldn't be like children who are tossed here and there by every wind of teaching and carried away by the waves 
of false teaching. In other words, kids are gullible. Kids are easily deceived. Kids are easily led away, astray. And so they need parental intervention. Have you ever been around children? Do children catch themselves and say, oh, I shouldn't say that. And Paul says, I used to speak like a child. Right? I had a little girl come by my office from school. I had the, the door open. She goes, hi, Pastor Jeff. I go, oh, hi, how are you? She goes, it stinks in here. And you're chubby, so we're both. Uh, no, no, I didn't. No, no, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't. And she wasn't chubby. And I slammed the door. No, I didn't. I did not. I said, well, honey, it's my coffee. I make coffee every day. She goes, I think it stinks. Well, then I won't be offering you any. Thank you. Tom, I'm going to put you on the spot. Sorry. Over at Bible Club a couple weeks ago. They're handing stuff out. Little boy says, Tom, I'm just going to paraphrase. Thank you. Staring at Tom. Why do you have so much hair in your nose? I've told you before, years ago when I was teaching over there, little girl in front of the whole class, 40 kids. Thank you for the Easter story today, Pastor Jeff. Oh, well, you're welcome, honey. But your teeth are really yellow. And I can see your mother didn't comb your hair this morning. So, no, I didn't. I didn't. I think those things. (laughs) I think those things. And I'm like this. I think I said, well, I'll get you a pair of sunglasses or something. I don't know. Now, with my own kids, I would say, (laughs) this is what I've heard more than anything from my wife in our 29 years of marriage. Jeff, people don't know when you're kidding. I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. It's interesting. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 2. God, who is the perfect parent, said about his own children, the nation of Israel. This is God, the perfect parent. By the way, the perfect parent may have children who grow up not to love and follow the Lord. And the perfect parent may have a very rebellious child that just is... You're just praying for the day they're moving out. But that child then comes to know and to walk and love the Lord as an adult. And wicked parents can end up having godly children. But God, the perfect parent, said, Sons I have reared and brought up, but they have revolted against me. So Proverbs 22, 6, say it with me. Train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is older, he will not depart from it is not a promise because even God was the perfect parent and didn't have godly children in the nation of Israel. But it's a warning. If you leave the child to go his own way without being a hands-on active parent, then you're going to set that child on a course for life that's going to end, Proverbs 29:15 says, end in shame. Super quickly, what do parents need from or what do children need from their parents we're not going to go into all the details but this is what children need from their parents 
They need a unified parenting agreement. Parents who are on the same page with the biblical roles of husband and wife being modeled. The best thing you can do for your child is to have a godly marriage. The best thing a dad can do for his children is to be a godly husband. The best thing a mom can do for her children is to be a godly wife. That kind of goes with number two. There needs to be a high view of marriage where the notion that my children come first is subservient to the priority of the spouse. We already covered this in a previous series. That the marriage relationship is to take priority over the parent-child relationship. To put your children first before your spouse is not going to end well. Primarily, for many reasons, but primarily because we are supposed to be raising our children to one day leave the home. And if I've centered my whole life on my children and ignored and neglected my spouse, one day those kids are going to be gone and the train's going to be pulling into crazy town. Trouble. Remember TPT, temporary, permanent, temporary. Your relationship with your parents when you were young was meant to be temporary in the sense of dependence at home. You get married. That's intended to be permanent. Then if you have children, God intends that to be temporary. TPT. Not temporary as in we have nothing to do with each other when you get older, but dependence, authority, uh, you know, those kinds of things. Husbands and wives, put your focus and your emphasis on your spouse if you want to help your children. Thirdly, biblical communication is what children need. We've already talked about it. Speaking to their hearts, idols, cravings, and passions. Not just merely correcting their behavior with a list of do's and don'ts. That's behaviorism. Fourthly, next page. There needs to be a policy of biblical rules that are clear. Two types of rules. Absolute rules, meaning the commands that come right out of Scripture. Thou shalt not lie. Thou shalt not steal. Uh, you know, those kinds of things. But then there should be provisional house rules that are agreed upon. That may not be in the Bible, like bedtime, like curfew, uh, you know, allowance, you know, those types of things. But they need to be very clear and they need to be consistent. He, uh, Ephesians 6, 4 says that a child will become exasperated. Colossians tells us a child can become frustrated and even angry. Do you know the vast majority of children who are angry are angry because they're receiving poor parenting? Or mom and dad have a lot of chaos and friction between them. Makes the child feel insecure. Makes the child feel angry, frustrated. Letter E, there should be a consistent practice of biblical discipline. It's really important. Seeing every discipline event as an opportunity for the gospel. And by the way, discipline should be an event. It should be formal. It should be structured. There should be conversation. There shouldn't just be the lashing out and hitting a child. Uh, that kind of thing. It should be done privately, never in front of others. I personally believe there should be a hug at the end as well. That's just me personally. I'm not a hugger. But when we disciplined our children, we always spoke with them before. 
disciplined them, and then we made sure everything was good between us afterwards. In other words, God expects perfection, doesn't he? He who sins shall die, the Old Testament says. So we tell our children this, and then we realize, well, I can't be perfect. I can't meet that expectation, the child thinks. And we say, that's right, you can't, but Jesus Christ did. And you need Christ. So we point our children to Christ at every opportunity that we have. It's easy to get distracted, isn't it? It's easy to get frustrated. Uh, I'm looking over here at our kids. You don't have kids yet. It's easy to get frustrated. I hope you don't have kids yet. Uh, It starts to become, I'm yelling at my kid because they're annoying me and getting on my last nerve. I'm grounding my child for 36 months because he and his brother are fighting for the 10th time today. And knocking their heads together didn't do any good. That's it. You're not going anywhere for three three years. That's it. And then I'm going downstairs and I'm thinking, I just punished myself. Behaviorism is for lazy parents. Raising children in a God-honoring way is a tremendous investment of time. What is God's design for parenting? Sorry for my chicken scratch. It was the only I couldn't figure out the graphics. I need some PowerPoint training and some other things, but uh, so my, I gave you my own little chicken scratch. What is God's design for parenting? Based on Proverbs and Ephesians, we see that biblical child rearing must include a wise, underline the word progressive, or circle it or highlight it or something. You'll see what we mean by that in a moment. A wise, progressive balance between structural and verbal discipline. By structural, we mean the rod. We mean physical correction. We mean discipline. And I'm going to use a word that's so unpopular in our culture today, but it is biblical spanking. And by the way, let me just say this. There is a proper way to spank and there is an improper way to spank. We never spank in anger. We never spank in public. There's a proper way to do it. And I'm not trying to be funny, but this is the truth. And if you say, why spank my child and they don't cry? Well, I'll tell you this. Then you need to do it again and you need to do it harder. And I'm not trying to be funny. That Proverbs 29 verse says, you will discipline your child. Don't worry, you won't kill him. That's what it says. Because the writer Proverbs knows that some people think, oh, I can't spank my kids. I'm going to hurt them. I'm going to hurt them. Or, and Lisa won't mind that I share this because... Eventually worked out. Eventually she understood. Uh, But sometimes when the kids were little and I would discipline them, she goes, no, you're doing it too hard. You're going to hurt them. That's not true. And you do get concerned, especially as a man, when you're disciplining your children. Uh, But I saw your kids today. I know some of them have been disciplined. They look like they were in pretty good mood to me. Okay. All I know is that the world doesn't know better than the one who designed and created families. And if God tells me to do something, then he knows what's best. And he knows what's best for that child. Verbal instruction are things like correction and guiding and so on and so forth. Do you see the first chart on your outline where it says permissive home? See the permissive home? 
See on the left, it's age zero. And on the right, it's 20 years, give or take. The permissive home, which is unbiblical, has very little of what? Discipline, the rod, consequences, very little rules. That's why that line is so high. Because the permissive home has tons of what? Verbal correction, positive reinforcement. I don't want to injure my child's self-esteem. So there's very little physical discipline. The harsh home is the other side, which we don't want the harsh home either because it's unbiblical. What is the harsh home mostly made of? The rod. Uh, It's a parent like a dictator who says, you do that because I told you. And there's very little verbal instruction and guidance and counseling. But then turn over to the last page and we see the biblical. The biblical pattern for parenting. Sorry, you got my chicken scratch. I couldn't figure out how to write on those arrows. According to this chart, when a child is very small, what does he need mostly? He mostly needs physical correction. And as the child grows older, that physical correction decreases. And what increases? The instruction, the rebuke, the correction, the guidance. I mean, my kids, when they were teenagers, there were sometimes they said, I would rather just give me a spanking. Oh, no, no, no. I think it would be much more effective for you if maybe we took away your Xbox for a week. No! Hit him where it hurts. And by the way, the root word for rod in the Hebrew, it doesn't refer only to spanking. Do you know, it says, you know, spare, if you spare the rod, you're going to spoil the child. That's a proverb. But rod does include spanking. But there is also the rod for older children. The word simply means causing discomfort. Now the parents are going, how can I cause my teenager discomfort? Just volunteered a chaperone at the school dance. Who is that guy? That's my dad. (laughs) Parents are writing this down. Chaperone. Kids are saying, never going to a dance again. According to this chart, in my own personal handwriting... What decreases as the child gets older? See it written on the arrow. Parental what is decreasing? Authority. As your child grows older, that physical intervention and correction is not as effective. And they don't need that as much. But as a child grows older, what is increasing? Parental influence. Everybody go, oh. Isn't that tremendous? That is the principle of biblical parenting in the book of Proverbs. If I put in the hard work of disciplining my children, not allowing them to go off according to their own passions when they're little, but being crisp, being clear, being assertive, and doing it calmly and authoritatively, that as my children grow older, I then become more of a counselor. I can say that I'm blessed to have three children who I would call friends today. My daughter just called me a couple days ago. 
she and her husband have some questions about how do you know God's will about such and such. That's awesome. That's awesome. Kids grow older, we see that they value our counsel more and more. Because we didn't leave them to go their own way when they were little. What is God's goal for parenting? Read it with me, and this is where we're going to close. Time's up. The goal of parenting, read it with me, to teach a child to understand his heart and to understand God's grace in Christ. That's what we're called to do as parents. Children are a gift from the Lord, for sure, right? But only if we use the wise, progressive Structural and verbal discipline will we be able to be an influence in our children's life. Children are a gift from the Lord. But they're a gift that needs maintenance and care and time. And they need you to be that for them. Let's stand up. Let's have a word of prayer together. Dear Heavenly Father, first of all, we praise you for your son, Jesus Christ. We as adults are fully aware how weak we are and how much in need we are of your grace every day. Help us as parents, as grandparents, as teachers, as caregivers, as aunts and uncles, as siblings to understand. Our children are cute and they're fun. And sometimes they're hilarious. But Father, we understand that we can't leave them to themselves when they're behaving in foolish ways, when they're not responding to the troubles and problems of life in a way that's pleasing to you, that we as parents need to calmly and gently do what we've been commanded to do, to intervene, to be active parents who bring the grace of God And bring the cross of the risen Christ into every problem in that child's life. Because we want to see them as they grow flourishing as a child of God. We as parents crave to maintain that relationship with our children as they grow older. That we... We we are so thankful that we can have an influence, that we can be a guidance, we can be a source of wisdom. Father, I praise you that your word rings true. That the world maligns your principles for marriage and family. And yet when we practice them, we see that your word is true. So, Father, help us to review these notes that are based on scripture and maybe see where we need to do some work. As a parent, as a grandparent, as a spouse, maybe even as a child. Maybe we're not responding to our parents in the way that God has told us to. It help us to grow in that area because we want to be pleasing to you. So, Father, thank you for today. We just praise and thank you for every good gift. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks for being here today. Don't forget there is a missions commission meeting across the way. Hey, really important. Next Sunday, church begins at... 10 a.m. 10 a.m.